Well, good morning, Grace Gospel Church. It's so nice to see you this morning. Thanks for coming out, even with the snow coming down. Appreciate you all being here. I'm so excited about this series on Abraham's life. We've had one message, and your feedback from that first message has been incredible. I think today, though, that you will like this message even more. Why? In the last message, Abraham was on a spiritual high. He was exercising faith. He was obedient to the word of the Lord. And he was blessed as a result of it. God revealed himself to Abraham even further. He entered into a more deeply intimate relationship with his creator God. With the one who had promised him certain promises that in faith he would have to trust God in order to see them fulfilled. This passage, though, Abraham is a little different. I remember when I was uh, a boy several hundred years ago, the yo-yo was very popular. I had all different yo-yos. I had a sleeper yo-yo. You... You could walk the dog with it along the ground, around the world. Yo-yos were popular. They're not so popular now. But the key thing about a yo-yo is it goes down and up, down and up. You've heard the phrase, no doubt, if you've been a believer in Christ for a while, a yo-yo Christian. Abraham invented yo-yo faith. Almost chapter by chapter, he's up and down, up and down. Sometimes down and up in the same chapter. In this opening chapter in his life, he's up and now he's going to be down. And, we're going, and perhaps most of us this morning will be better able to relate to Abraham when he's down than when he's up. Okay, I resemble that comment. Perhaps that's your, been your experience as well. And this is why I think today, as we examine the reasons why his faith failed, the beginning of it, which we got a clue last week what that is, and as a review, we'll just look at that one verse that connects the first part of chapter 12 with the part that we're going to cover today that our brother Joe read for us. We're going to see how it began, and then we're going to examine each aspect that played into his faith, his faithlessness. So let's begin by looking at that key transitional verse. In verse 8, then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. He was going to live there. In other words, he built his house in today's terminology. He pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Recall that we had said that Bethel, the Hebrew word, means house of God. But I in Hebrew means a pile of ruins. Abraham is between the house of God and a pile of ruins. And we liken that to our own walk in this world in which we are 
in the world, but not of the world. We are involved in not only a spiritual walk, but spiritual warfare. And we are between those two as well, just like Abraham. But there he built an altar. An altar is a place of sacrifice and worship. And he put forth the necessary effort to do that, and he called upon the name of the Lord. And all seems great. But then we read this transitional verse. And he journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. It's a desert area. Here's what it looks like. There's virtually no life there. This was an intermittent stream. In the spring it flows, but then it dries up. There's very little life, just what's left in the stream bed. Nothing all around. This is where he went to. From leaving a place that was lush and green, for whatever reason we're not told, he's in the Negev. Perhaps he was going to see, is the Lord going to say to me, I'm giving you this land too. But this is where he is when we pick up with the verses that our brother Joe read for us today. The title of today's message is the first failing of Abraham. The Lord is going to be revealed in these verses. Every one of these passages, every one of these messages that you'll hear on the life of Abraham reveals the Lord God in a certain way. Here we are going to see God remains faithful to his word. He remains faithful to his promises even in the faith the face of our faithlessness. Abraham's faithlessness but ours as well. This is exactly what Paul writes to Timothy. He writes, if we are faithless, God, he remains faithful. Why? For he cannot deny himself. Even to the believer in Christ, there are certain spiritual promises that God has made. Every one of those promises will be fulfilled in your life as a believer in Christ. Some of them now, while you live on this earth. Some of them, when you live throughout eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. God will always be faithful, even when we are faithless. Why? Because he will not allow his word to be circumvented by anyone or anything. The scripture asks this rhetorical question. For who resists his will? The answer is no one. God will always accomplish his purposes. No one can stay his hand. No one can slow his plan down. He will act when he chooses to act and in the way he has decided to act. And no one can change that. Even Abraham going to the Negev, and as we're going to see, to Egypt, a picture of the world, God will still accomplish his plan. If you take only one thing away from today's message, let it be what's on the slide in front of you. God is able to defend you 
and restore you to faithfulness. Even when you're faithless, God will defend you. He may chastise the sinning child, but he will defend you and he will restore you to faithfulness. And we'll see how both of these happen in the life of Abraham in this passage. We're going to look at it under two main headings. The passage divides very neatly. Faith falters when it's in the wrong places. And God acts in the, in the face of faithlessness. So let's look at the first part of the message. Faith, faith falters when in wrong places. Spiritual famine in the life of Abraham and in your life, because this was not just a physical famine in Abraham's life. Yes, there was a literal physical famine in the land, but it was a picture of the spiritual famine that would be going on in his soul. It's a picture of the spiritual famine that can occur in our soul when we are in the wrong place. Now, there was a famine in the land, and again, that land was this. We shouldn't be surprised that there is a famine if we choose to move further away from the house of God, the place where God dwells, into a desert land like this. But I, I don't want to steal, Lord willing, Danny's thunder next week. But you're going to notice something from Danny's message from Genesis 13. When Abraham leaves Egypt, I challenge you, read it this week. See where God brings him back to and see where God was able to bless him in. Take a look at that and see if you can figure it out in Genesis 13. As a result of this famine in the land that occurs when we're in the wrong place, Abraham is going to go to Egypt. In Scripture, Egypt is usually a picture of the world. This world system, as the New Testament terms it, that Satan is in control of over this entire world, it has a course of evil, it's plotted towards evil, it's headed towards sin and destruction. That world is never the solution to spiritual famine. Turning to the world when you recognize spiritual famine, spiritual need in your life, is never the right place to turn to. It's never the solution. But Abraham, instead of turning around and going back to Bethel, instead, what does he do? He continues from the desert of the Negev he goes to Egypt. He goes even further away from Bethel. He went down to Egypt to sojourn there. This was an extended stay. This wasn't just a vacation. He was going to sojourn there. And the reason why was that the famine was severe in the land. We'll find out in coming weeks that God can provide for the believer in Christ anywhere. He didn't have to go to the world. The world is never going to be the solution to the spiritual famine in your life. 
If you are not experiencing the joy of the Lord in your life, maybe you have moved from Bethel to the Negev. And turning to the world is only going to compound that spiritual famine, that spiritual hunger, that lack of joy in the life of the believer in Christ. The world is never the solution. It is never the answer to spiritual famine. Faith will fail whenever you are near the world. If you feel that your faith is failing, as the old hymn, the traditional hymn says, Christ will hold me fast. We've sung that here. He will hold me fast. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. But faith will fail when you are near the world, when there is worldliness. And we'll see exactly what that looks like in the coming verses of this passage. If we recognize that our faith has failed, please by all means consider that you have grown too close to the world. You have moved too close to the world. You have drifted away from God, from where God wants you in your life. It came about when he came near. He wasn't even in Egypt yet. When we will start to see some of the signs of faithlessness, some of the signs that he had drifted from the place where he should have remained. And what was true in Abraham's life geographically, physically, is true in our life, in the life of the believer in Christ, spiritually speaking. When we come near the world and its evil influence and its evil desire for us, and when we have desires similar to the world, faith will fail. And that's, that's a key. When our desires, when our goals, when our interests in life resemble the world's, know that you are near the world. You are not near God. It's a warning bell. God is being gracious and sounding the alarm for each one of us that we have drifted too close to the world. Faith fails when the focus is wrong. When he was near to Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, see now, I know that you are a beautiful woman. His focus was on the external. He said nothing about her godly character. He said nothing about the Lord or the Lord's promise. Leave. Go to a land that I'll show you. His focus was only on a person and the external. That is a key indication that faith has failed and may fail further if it's not repented of. Faith fails when the focus is wrong. Our primary focus in life is always to be the vertical, the spiritual, the eternal, not the temporal, not the material, not the physical. But Abraham's focus is on the horizontal plane here. There's no mention of the Lord here. His entire concern is that which he can see with his eyes, not which he can trust, 
with the eyes of faith. Faith fails when the focus is wrong. Brothers and sisters, if your focus is solely or primarily on the temporal, be concerned. Talk to the Lord. You're in a place where your faith can fail. If in a situation, God is not our first thought, God and his word are not our go-to position, we are setting ourselves up for our faith to fail. Faith fails when it thinks like the world. Notice what he says to his wife next. And when the Egyptians, those who live in the world, those who don't know God, those who think like the world thinks, whose value system is entirely different than the promises and word of God. When the Egyptians see you, they will say. He's already thinking like the world. It's not just that he's aware of what the world will do or what the world will say. It's not just that he has the insight, the discernment, the wisdom to know. how the world thinks and behaves. It's more than that because he is going to act unrighteously as a result of this focus, this way of thinking like the world. Paul writing to the Christians in Rome in Romans chapter 12 says, do not be conformed, forced into the mold of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Thinking like the world is never going to transform our mind. It's going to conform our mind to the world's way of thinking. God's word is what will transform your mind. It's where God's truth is. It's where God has placed those words that knowledge, that information that he wants each of us to understand and know about himself, about ourself, and about the end of man, the eternity that is planned with Christ or apart from Christ. The Egyptians will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me. Do you know what he just did there? He basically called God a liar. God had said he was going to be the father of a great nation, and through him all the nations of the world, of the earth, shall be blessed. How could that happen if he's dead? He was not trusting in what God had promised in his words to Abraham. They will kill me, but they will let you live. Faith fails when it thinks like the world. If, brothers and sisters, if, if you ever sense that your faith is failing, consider prayerfully before the Lord that you are thinking like the world. That you and I, are, when we're in that position, are not thinking God's thoughts after him. We're not thinking 
the way he expresses himself in the scripture. Faith fails when it thinks like the world. Faith fails when it draws near the world, when it focuses like the world on the external, and when it thinks like the world instead of thinking like God. Faith fails when it enters the devil's domain. What is the devil's domain? You've heard me say it before. It's deceit. It's deception. It's dishonesty. Jesus Christ in John 8 said that Satan abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. He is a liar and the father of lies. That is the devil's domain. Dishonesty, deceit, deception. What's Abraham about to do here? Please say, he says to Sarai, his wife, please say that you are my sister so that it may go well with me because of you. Things would go well with Abraham, not because of Sarah. We'll find out later on. He'll listen to his wife's bad advice. Things will go well with Abraham, not because of Sarah, but because of the Lord. Things will always go well in your life and mine, not because of us, not because of another person, but because of Jesus Christ. that it may go well with me because of you and I may live on account of you. No, on account of the promise of the Lord. Things will not go well when we enter the devil's domain. And the rest of these, these verses in this passage will show what happens. Abraham is going to suffer a great loss here. we're going to see that the world that Abraham was going to, that it lacked spiritual sight. Just like Abraham. Abraham was thinking like the world. He was focusing like the world. And sure enough, the proof of it is in verse 14. It came about when Abraham came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. The same external outward focus that Abraham was concerned about. He was right that that's what the world would think. He understood that, but he went too far. He told Sarah to deceive. They entered the devil's domain instead of trusting in the promise of God. The world lacks spiritual sight. We can never turn to the world for spiritual solutions because sure enough, just like Abraham knew, the world lacks spiritual sight. They were looking only at the external, at the temporal. They were looking at the outward. There was no vertical. It was all horizontal. No connection with the Lord. Faithlessness will always suffer loss. Pharaoh's officials saw Sarah and praised her to Pharaoh, and Sarah was taken into Pharaoh's house. Can you imagine losing the most beloved person in your life? I, I can't imagine what Abraham must have felt at that moment. The reason why this was done was in those days there were often marriage alliances. And you would build up your strength 
to prevent invasion or to combat others through marriage alliances. They even did this in Europe a few hundred years ago. There would be marriage alliances between powerful nations or powerful families. This is what was going on here. Why he said, say you're my sister. His strength was in the world instead of in the Lord. But he suffered loss. His wife was gone. She wasn't in the tent with him any longer. She was in Pharaoh's house. Brothers and sisters, when we turn to the world, when we drift from where we should be, when our faith fails, we will suffer spiritual loss. There is not going to be joy in our life at those times. Faithlessness will always suffer loss. The world only can offer you and I temporal benefit. Therefore, Pharaoh treated Abram well for her sake and gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. This is all the world can offer. Trinkets that eventually will all disappear. Jesus Christ said, Do not fear him who is able to kill the body, but rather fear him who is able to destroy body and soul in hell. This is the only thing the world can offer. The world cannot offer salvation to anyone. The world can't save itself. It's on a path of destruction because it's headed away from the only source of salvation, Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you never trusted in Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross when he bore the sins of the world in his body, suffered the judgment of God in the place of the sinner, if you've never trusted in that, if you're trusting in anything else, especially if you're trusting in the world, Jesus Christ said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul. If you've never trusted in Christ, then you are living in your own Egypt. You are one of the Egyptians, so to speak, with no faith in God or Christ. You are apart from the promises of God. I urge you, I beseech you, trust in what Jesus Christ did on the cross, on his work of salvation, his shed blood and his death on behalf of the sinner. Cry out to him for salvation. The scripture promises, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Do like that tax collector in scripture did. Cry out, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. The scripture says there's nothing good in us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin, the scripture says, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Trust in him and him alone. The world can only offer temporal benefit. 
it only lasts for this life. It's been often said regarding John D. Rockefeller, at one point the richest man in the world, when he died, a journalist asked the executor of his estate, because no one knew how wealthy he was. How much did he leave behind? And the executor of his estate said, all of it. Everything the world can give you, can offer you, will all be left behind. You can't take it with you. From Abraham's faith faltering, and we see him even entering the domain of the devil with dishonesty and deceit and deception, even in the face of this, God didn't say, okay, forget about it, you know, big black marker through Abraham's name, we're getting rid of that plan B. No, not plan B. God has one plan and one plan only, and he's always working that plan. That plan never changes. It's been planned from eternity past before he created anything. God is going to act in the face of faithlessness. Remember what Paul wrote to Timothy? If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Why? For he cannot deny himself. He promised it. His word is sure and amen. And it will never change. God is always working his plan. Here's Abraham. He's in his tent alone. His wife is with Pharaoh. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues. Why? Because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Messiah, Jesus Christ, would eventually be a descendant of Sarah. God had promised Eve. God had then promised Abraham. Messiah was going to have to come through Sarah. Because of Sarah, more importantly, because of the promise God had made, God struck. Abraham didn't do anything. Anything he did was wrong up to this point in this half of the chapter. God is always working his plan. Brother and sister, when you look around and your tent is empty, even if it's your own doing, my own doing, God is still acting. He always acts. He never stops working his plan. The Lord struck Pharaoh because of the mother of Messiah. God may use the world to rebuke us. Pharaoh called Abraham and said, What is this you have done to me? This was so obvious. He didn't even bother to call the doctors. They knew what was going on here. When God acts, it's unmistakable. There was no questioning it, no scratching the head and, you know, what, what's going on here? God will even use the world to rebuke you and I. The world knows what a Christian should look like. They want us to act like them because the light of the gospel shining out from the believer's life is too much for their eyes. It's convicting for you to live the gospel. 
in your life. They hate it. They don't want it. But as soon as you act like them, you know what you're going to hear? You call yourself a Christian? This is basically what Pharaoh said here. You call yourself a follower of the Lord? What is this you have done? Now, notice the focus here. It's done to me. It's not, what have you done to the Lord? You've sinned again. No, the world cares about itself. And that's what it wants you to do. Only care about yourself instead of Jesus Christ. God uses Pharaoh. He uses the world to rebuke the faithlessness of Abraham. Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? And God will use the world at times to rebuke you and I when we are faithless. The world can sometimes act more righteously than the faithless. How could a believer ever do that? There, there's no sin that you can do nowadays, that could be done nowadays, that a believer cannot engage in. But a believer will repent of that sin, turn their back, and head towards God. Sometimes the world can act more righteously than the faithless. Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. This is what Abraham should have done at the beginning before he ever entered the world. It should have dawned on him. I've drifted so far from Bethel. Even the Negev is in the distance. Even the desert wilderness of the Negev is in the distance. And he could have turned around at any point and headed back towards God. Instead, God will use the world to give Abraham the boot. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Go back to where you belong. I don't want you here. Sometimes the world can shame us. There are those times when it's part of God's plan that they may act more righteously than the believer. And what a shame that is. God will use the world at times to further his plan. The world is not independent of God. Sure, according to Paul's writings in Ephesians, it's under the control of Satan. It's a world system opposed to God, headed for destruction. But God will even use that world to further his plan. Pharaoh, the ruler of that world, Egypt, commanded his men concerning Abram. And they escorted Abram away with his wife and all that belonged to him. Here, he has an escort to make sure he gets out of the world. That's the God that you serve. There is no aspect of God's creation that is not ultimately under his control and can be used to steer the believer back onto the path of faith and righteousness. God uses even the ruler of the world system in Abraham's area, the ruler of Egypt, to point Abraham in the right direction direction in conclusion 
today? Will you examine yourself before the Lord? Will you begin to take notice of when you are turning to the world? And will you take notice of how God acts in your life in the face of faithlessness? He does. He acts all the time for the benefit and blessing of the believer, ultimately for his glory, but also for your good. It's true that our greatest good is always found in God's greatest glory. How he does that, I I don't know, but it's true. The more he is glorified, the more good comes to you. God was not glorified in Egypt, but he would be glorified in the land. As we'll see, Lord willing, next week when our brother Danny preaches to us. But pray to God. Ask the Lord to open your eyes, even today and this week, to how he is acting. Even if you recognize that you are to some degree, more or less, at times, faithless. Ask God to open your eyes so that you can see how he is working in your life at all times. When you're in Bethel, when you're in the desert wilderness of the Negev, the spiritual Negev in your life, or when, God forbid, you find yourself with one foot in the world. Make this a constant prayer that God would open your eyes to how he is working in your life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we would confess to you, indeed, we cannot hide it, for you do not see as a man sees, but you look on our heart. Oh, Lord, you know that at times our faith fails. We confess that to you. We know we can't hide it, and we're ashamed of it. After all you have done for us, Lord Jesus, We acknowledge that sometimes we are faithless, but we thank you, dear God, that even in the face of our faithlessness, you are always faithful, and you defend us, and you will restore us to a place of faith. We thank you so much for that. We thank you that you are always faithful because you cannot deny yourself. So, dear God, would you be pleased this morning to strengthen our faith? Would you be pleased to give us insight and discernment to how you are working out your plan in our lives to make us more like your beloved son through all situations in life? And Lord, would you hold us close? Would you hold us fast? so that we never turn to the world. Keep us close, dear God, we ask, not merely for our blessing and benefit, but for the honor and glory of